Pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later. The Homest Army proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else we want to talk about. Trek West 5 is brought to you in part by RocketWebDesign.com, custom web design at template website prices. Designs by DD.blogspot.com, your online home for all your digital scrapbooking needs. Need a home along the Wasatch Front? Contact Lisa DeBagere with Kirkham and Friends Real Estate. No one will work harder for your home. And thehomestarmy.com, blogging to the world since 2004. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Podcast 145. I am Peter. And I am Joey. And, uh... Oh, he's making an adjustment. You're talking a little loud there, buddy. <laughs> I'm not talking loud. You're just hearing poorly. Okay, fair enough. Um, welcome back, everyone. It's been so long since you've been with us. Like two whole weeks. Not like partial weeks. Um, this is uh, our return to Sherlock Holmes. It's our return to September. It's our return to normalcy. No. Nope, totally got that wrong, Joey. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm happy that we're here because I really enjoyed this week's episode. I'm looking forward to talking about it way more than I was last podcast. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was, wow, just cool. Um, anything, any announcements on your end? Well, we have one announcement that we've talked about making this week. Are we ready to make that announcement? Because we didn't discuss this. We're ready to pre-announce. Pre-announce. Well, we said we'd talk about it this week. I said we, we I said start. we could talk about it. I did not say we could talk about it on air. <laughs> uh, yeah, go ahead and do it, Joey. I mean, you, okay. you're the one who's been doing all the legwork on this thus far. And so, we'll continue to do so. I've uh, I've mentioned before on the podcast that we'd really like to get a nicer soundboard. You know, we've been borrowing uh, your friend John Madsen's soundboard. Yep, my friend John Madsen, very nice of him to do that. Father of the podcast, yep. all around good guy. The, the only drawback with the soundboard that we have is that there's only one output. So you and I both get mixed at the soundboard. And for example, if one of us is talking too loud or too softly. Or at the same time. Yes, I can't do anything about that. And that, that. would be really annoying. <laughs> I can't do anything about that in post-production. <laughs> That's right. And we want to be able to provide a little more classier kind of sound. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I think that... Uh... Well, no, let, let's be honest. We just want to pretend like we're that much more professional. <laughs> we want to feel like we're doing a good podcast. <laughs> we, we think that, hey, if we get more professional, then people might like us more. <laughs> I think there is a little bit of insecurity at the heart of all of this. Yeah, that's fair. Anyway, so we, you and I had talked, and, and I came up with the idea. Because the soundboard we're looking at, it's about $600 or so. Uh, I came up with the idea, you know what? Let's try a Kickstarter. Yes. Let's go ahead and ask people for money, because that seems like a great idea. <laughs> um, so we, we, we've talked it over. We've come up with some potential rewards. 
and none of which include a swift kick in the butt, no, or a sharp poke in the eye. Uh, we're talking Not, about none of those. We're talking about so you know some different things like maybe we'll record your voicemail message for you or sure uh, you know uh, I know that the uh, the ultimate prize that we're talking about is you basically fund the entire Kickstarter <laughs> yourself. Uh, travel not included. You can come to Pete's house and stay for the weekend. Yep. And we'll take you to Ming's. We'll buy you dinner. Yep. And then you can be on the air with us. You bet. We'll record a podcast with you. You could even I, – I don't know if we said this, but you can like dictate what we cover in that yeah. podcast. Yeah, we, we – I'd be okay with that if we did like a – someone was like, you know, I really want to do a poetry podcast with you guys. If, if we, I'm flying in, I want to talk about this certainly. You know, uh, you co- content subject to approval obviously. You know, if yes. they want to talk about Debbie Does Dallas, we're probably going to put the We'll be okay with that. <laughs> I have always wanted to see what was so great about Dallas. I, I don't know. It's the Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, so we we have not yet launched the Kickstarter itself. We're looking at potentially launching it after the first podcast in the month of October. Uh, and yeah. the, I think the main impetus behind holding off right now is we'd like to have the could be, we're time limited on how long we can have the Kickstarter event open. We'd like to you know have more opportunities to verbally beg you for money. Yes, between the start and end. Of and our at some point. You guys are going to be like, oh, man, this is great. This is awesome. I'd love to be able to contribute. And we're going to feel great that you did. And then we're going to beg you for even more. That's right. (laughs) We're like a political party. (laughs) Give till it hurts and then give a little more. (laughs) Uh, I'm excited about it because uh, I don't appreciate the amount of work you go into editing the podcast because, thankfully... I've never had to do it. Um, but you seem really excited about it, and you it's something you really want. We've talked about getting you know some equipment for a long time, and this seems like a really, really good way of going about it, and so I, I'm behind you 100%. Well, you know, the, the example that I give is that by buying these new microphones, we went from it taking me about four and a half hours on a Sunday to edit the podcast to around an hour. Okay, so, uh, yeah, this was my friend John Madsen. He came home, derailed us. I don't know what we were talking about. <laughs> I, I was talking about how buying the microphones cut down the editing time. Oh, right, 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 right. And, you know, having separate audio tracks. The, the, the main feature of the soundboard that I want is that each of us will be recorded on a completely separate audio input track. And so I can mix and render those individually. So if somebody's coughing or if I need to turn up the volume <coughs> on one person. Sorry, my bad. My bad on that one, everyone. <laughs> It just was. It would save me a lot of time in the in the post production part. Yeah, like that right there could have been removed. Yeah, it can't. It, if with this Kickstarter doesn't get funded, there will be more coughing. <laughs> I can promise you. That. <laughs> yeah, this isn't a good idea. I'll start, but you know, threatening them. <laughs> uh, the quality of this podcast will go down <laughs> if you don't fund us. Next, I'm going to be extorting them for money somehow. <laughs> you jerk! Just give me your money. Um, anyway, so that is to come. We'll, you know, we're toying with the idea of, you know, should we do a little video? Should we just do a write-up? I'm in charge of the write-up, which I've thought about some things, haven't written anything down yet, which is great considering the fact that we're not putting this out till October. So I've got like a couple more weeks that I can totally blow this off. Um, that's a good announcement, Joey. Thanks. Um, let's see here. I, I should say... 
I don't often give you a lot of credit, but in this regard, I am going to give you some credit. Some. I think you've, you know, <laughs> you've really kind of picked up the ball here and uh, done a really good job in, in getting this all set up. Because, I mean, you guys haven't seen what the prizes are yet, but hey, Joey went in some work in putting that together. It's possible there may be some alliteration uh, yeah. W- yeah. within the awards, which I, I thought, wow, I would never bother to try and come up with that. But he did. And so I think you should uh, all reward Joey for his efforts. By buying me a soundboard. Yes. <laughs> for you. Um, okay. I don't have any announcements. Uh, I think we need to cover some emails. Okay. First one I want to cover, though, we've got one from uh, John, Mark, uh, then, of course, Brainy, but that'll be for his nook of darkness. Uh, Aaron sent in an email last week that we didn't get to because he sent it in kind of like after we had already gotten started on recording, and so it was sort of like, ah, we didn't see it. So I wanted to read it to at least, you know, say, hey, thanks, Aaron, for sending some stuff in because that was really nice of him. Okay. Uh, He says... Before I get to my note, I would like to remind Joey to collect the portable hard drive. <laughs> we had a discussion about that. Yes, we, we did. On. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, still not sure where that's at. No, nope, Really, neither. really feel bad about that now. Uh, he says, The great game. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode, but what stands out most is Moriarty. Even when he is at his most evil, this is a guy I find hard to fear. Which then makes me more afraid of him in the long run. Nice job there, BBC. Uh, he gives us TV 8 and TV in the long run 9. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Doggone it, he did it. Next time he comes on, he'll have to defend that <laughs> Yeah. Uh, funny nonetheless. Um, okay, let's do... Let's do Mark. Hope you all had a great weekend off. I really appreciate all the work that Joey does to put out the podcast. Hey. Like, first time ever you get a compliment from this guy. Absolutely. He hates you a lot. And for him to say (laughs) that he appreciates it, that's something. Um, However, I thought you had an intern. (laughs) If that guy can't handle the grunt work, maybe you should think about firing him and getting someone who can really help out. So is this Mark's pitch for the intern position? I don't know. He stops there. Oh, okay. <laughs> Next paragraph. Do either of you know anything about building apps? I might have a million-dollar idea for an app, but don't know anything about coding or how to put those things together. I'd be willing to split the profits with you 50-50 if you could help me out. Maybe something can be worked out. I know about building apps. You've you've built some? I have built an app. Ah. It's not commercially available because I don't want to pay the $100 fee. (laughs) I know I'll never make it back (laughs) on the app I built, but I did build an app. Okay. Uh, Yeah, Joey's a pretty smart guy when it comes to programming crap. Wow. I'm getting like all sorts of compliments tonight. You must be in a good mood. Um, (laughs) When he's not drunk. Why do you guys... Oh, so yes, we can build an app. Yeah. Uh, just send us some of the details. We can... It better not be about porn. Because somebody else already came up with that idea. You know, I bet there's room in the market for more than one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, we, we could probably help you out with that. He continues, what do you guys think about the Fed? 
Anne Bernanke's new idea about QE3, or perhaps it should be called QEI for QE infinity. <laughs> Haven't they done enough? Maybe it's time to get rid of Bernanke, and I don't know who gets to fire him. I think it's a presidential appointee, isn't it? Yes. Okay. So Barack Obama could get rid of could. him. Probably could. won't. Uh, I don't know enough about what's going on. I am just grateful for the low interest rate that I have received thanks to the crappy um, economy. <laughs> and uh, I really should consider it because it stayed down super low, like in the threes. I should consider maybe refinancing again. Probably. Maybe. We'll see. Um, I don't have enough information to be able to answer his question. Do you want to take a stab at this? What, um, do, what do you think about Ben Bernanke? I think Bernanke... The, the problem is that Bernanke keeps getting compared to Greenspan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if Greenspan was as big of a genius as we all, I think, <laughs> imagined him to be, or if he was just lucky in the time he was serving and how relatively stable things were at that point. Um but I, I think Bernanke is probably doing the best that he really knows how to do with a pretty crappy situation. I mean, let's be honest. The American economy is in the toilet. It's going to be for a while. It's not probably not going to have a whole lot of movement. You know, I, I think it's funny. the the uh, All the people on both sides of the presidential campaign coming up this year, they're like, well, either Obama has done a great job with the economy or Obama has done a terrible job with the economy and we have to get Romney in there because Romney is going to fix the economy. I'm like, look, guys, the president can't do that much about it. Um, neither can Bernanke, to be honest with you. I mean, he has more control than the president does. Uh, and and I, I agree with you. I don't, know, I don't know who you put in if you get rid of Bernanke. I, I don't know who the next guy is. Um, I think that really we should swallow a really tough pill. I think so, too. Which is, uh, I, I think about the way I, I try and plan for, you know, a nest egg. I don't spend a lot of money. I don't go out and buy a lot of stuff. I think maybe America really needs to take a step back and say, mm, maybe we should start thinking more like we did in the 40s. Yes. Where it wasn't about, you know, spend, spend, spend because we have credit. Hooray. It was more along the lines of, we need to plan for the future here because we're we're not doing a very good job of it. Yeah, you know I remember uh, there was a, a a couple of radio ads I heard a few years back when things were really at their worst. There were radio ads about uh, feed the pig. It was yes. this radio ad that was going on about you know put money in your savings account basically. And I heard back to back. I heard a radio ad for feed the pig, put money in your savings account, and then the very next ad was. You need to go out and spend money and buy American to lift yeah. the American economy. And they put those ads back to back, and I thought, what? This is why we can't have nice things. We can't, <laughs> we can't even send a consistent message when we're in deep trouble. <laughs> and, and I think that's actually, you know, that's my, that's my problem with QE3. I like, I like Mark's suggestion. We call it QE Infinity because the, with, the, with the QE3, so QE is, is quantitative easing. And that's basically where the central bank just starts buying up credit from the private banks just to kind of keep things floating at a particular level. Um, and with QE3, with this third round of or quantitative easing that they're trying to perform, they've put no limit on it. They're going to do $40 billion a month from now until whenever they feel like things are okay. 
and they're just going to keep injecting more and more money into the system. Uh, I, th- I think that's a pretty bad idea. I'm not an economist, but but just, you have played one on TV. No, no, I haven't even played one on TV. Oh, I've, I've had I've that wrong. Imagined Sorry. that I was playing one on TV. <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I have very little knowledge in the area, other than to say, look, it just seems common sense to me that you cannot inject forty billion dollars into the economy every month between now and whenever you feel like it, and expect things to just get better magically on their own. Sure. At some point, as you said, we're going to have to swallow this hard pill. Um, you know, I go back to I think it was the West Wing. Uh, where they had that huh? quote about the, you know, if there must be trouble, let it be in my time so there can be peace in my child's time. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about uh, when uh, the episode when uh, President Bartlett's, uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, no, it was um, Julie Hill's character, Charlie, okay. was having to pay um, – taxes that year and he's like hey what the heck i should have gotten a refund i'm having to pay into this and it ends up being oh it's because we gave you an advance on your refund like earlier and they were like uh wait why did this happen and he's like well we wanted you to go out and spend the money and help the economy along and what did you do i paid down my debt well we don't want you to do that on you know we want you to do that on the other guy's time period we want you to you know go out and spend the money with us um when you know as the economist he knows <laughs> pay down your debt get rid of it so you're free and clear and that the money remains yours yeah that's sound fiscal policy in my opinion okay um mark continues i haven't watched any more sherlock yet but don't worry about spoilers i'm not bothered by that sort of thing Randy Newman wrote a song about how racist we Americans are and how we can't have a black man in the White House. How we can't stand having a black man in the White House. Um, I listened to his MP3 that he attached. I'm not sure that that is actually Randy Newman. <laughs> it sure sounds like Randy Newman, but I think it was some you know guy. Uh, celebrity impersonator. Satirizing him, maybe. Um, anyway, I'm not going to play it, but I got a chuckle out of it. I don't know. Um, well, my grilled cheese sandwich is done. I might write more later. Listener M. P.S. Pete is the awesomest. I think so. you added that. Nope. Right there. Huh. You know I can't read that from over here. And I, I can't make this kind of stuff up. Here, look. I'm going <laughs> to toss the paper over to you so you can see. I had to uh, crinkle it up because uh, otherwise the paper away. just really doesn't throw very well. The mass just doesn't go. Pete is the awesomest. I'd never get tired of hearing that. All right. Okay, my friend John Madsen, who interrupted us earlier, he says, Perfect timing. Looks like Series 2 of Sherlock was added to Netflix just today. Which is why we took so many breaks in the month of September. Yes, omniscience (laughs) we have. Uh, I don't want to talk about Series 2 right now, though. I'm slightly disappointed in your last podcast because I was looking forward to your going over something, but it was just glossed over. Apparently, Sherlock Holmes does not know that Earth goes around the sun. Is this specific bit of information important to know? Copernicus changed what we learn about, but did he change how we think? 
did the behavior of mankind actually change upon learning that earth goes around the sun? I find it interesting that in the same episode, Sherlock notes that a specific astronomical phenomenon didn't exist at the time of a certain painting, proving it's a forgery, which is weird since he didn't know the relationship of the earth and sun. Of course, Sherlock didn't need to know specifically about the astrological phenomenon. He only needed to know that the astronomer in the episode would have had that information. Is the fact that the earth goes around the sun something that only astronomers need to know? I bring this up because I find it interesting how useless most of the knowledge we have is. Often, when we're surprised at what someone doesn't know, the fact in question really has nothing to do with either of us. It seems like the only reason for having much of our knowledge isn't to actually apply it, but strictly to impress people. Okay. Um, so let's uh, let's answer a couple of these questions because I personally thought it was a little weird that Sherlock seemed very limited in his astrological uh, understanding. Excuse me, astronomical. <laughs> Astrology, something completely else. different, <laughs> completely different. Um, I, I found that a little weird that you know he chose to push that part of uh, that you know, information, information out, of out of his head. Like, yeah, it wasn't important. I get that, but is it really taking up that much space to know that <laughs> fact? I found that a little weird, but I didn't. You know, because I didn't really care about the episode that much. We, I just didn't bother to bring it up. I, I think it's, I think, I think it's intentionally they select that fact because he will later use the supernova as the way to solve one of the puzzles, and so they wanted that strong uh, dichotomy, I guess, there in there to say, oh yeah, he doesn't know that the Earth goes around the sun. But he does know the date that the supernova was created, and so or you know was visible in the night sky. So you know, I I, I really think it was just kind of for the the joke in the episode. Yeah, I, I get that, but still, it's. Eh. I mean, who knows about that? You know, supernova. Like how how does he even come up with that knowledge? Why is that the piece of knowledge he's going to choose to store, and not something else? Um, okay. Did Copernicus change the way we think? Yes, I think so. You really think he did? I really think he did. I, I think that Copernicus, along with other key characters in history, really drove humanity towards a logic-based assessment of observation. Saying, you know what? If we observe something and it doesn't quite make sense, maybe we challenge our core beliefs instead of challenging our observation. I think that is what Copernicus did for us. You know, instead of saying, "Well, you know, the, even though even though the way you know light moves and, and the way the calendar works wouldn't make sense if the sun were going around the Earth, we're just going to kind of brush that off to you know we don't know why, and just assume that our our belief that the sun, the sun is what's rotating, we're going to say that that's you know we're going to hold on to that." And he said, "No, you know, maybe we should try to." Make the fact, make our understanding of the law fit the facts instead of make the facts fit our understanding of the law. Is the fact 
that the Earth goes around the sun, something that only astronomers need to know. Yes. Um, I might agree with that only because their need is greatest. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it hurts other people to know it. And I don't think it's a bad thing that it's common knowledge necessarily. I, I think that there are it, it plays a role in other areas. I mean, having an understanding of the fundamental principle of Earth go round sun is important because <laughs> at, at some point we're going to start throwing satellites up into space. And at that point, it's more than just astronomers. That's people who make satellites and need to understand how all of that stuff flows. And it's just one of those fundamental blocks. So I don't think that I, I would disagree with, uh, with this in saying that I don't think that it's only astronomers that need to know that the Earth goes around the sun. Or that the sun goes around the earth, vice versa. I haven't seen, I don't know specifically myself yet, which which it happens. <laughs> um, but I, I do like John's um, conclusion where he says, it seems like the only reason for having much of our knowledge isn't to actually apply it, but strictly to impress people. And I've seen that a lot in my personal life where I try and make myself out to be you know, this fantastic, grandiose person Oftentimes because I know something you don't. And I can lord it over somebody and, and make myself look uh, like I am better than. So I I really appreciate that comment at the end. I, I think he's he's spot on. To some extent, uh, I'd say in my in my specific profession. Oh, we're going to say that Joey is somehow better than the rest of us. No, no, no. Not, not, not what we're saying. Um <laughs> In, in in the way I perform my job and in the job that I have, the acquisition of knowledge is key to success. And maybe you can still boil that down, I guess, in a sense to, well, yeah, I'm just trying to impress my boss or something like that. But But really, a lot of times, I don't have to solve a problem myself because I've educated myself on other people have solved all these many, many problems. And by being aware of all these solutions that are out there, I can frequently take things and say, oh, I'm just going to take this thing that someone else built and I'm going to apply it to this specific task I have today. What I think is, is a fair statement that you might agree with is I don't think people are trying to apply themselves or apply their knowledge to problems out there. I don't think people are looking for enough problems to try and solve. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, John, thanks very much. Mark and um, who's that other guy? The big guy. Aaron. Aaron, that's him. The one we haven't <laughs> seen for a while. Come on, Aaron. you got to show up. Um, thanks for sending in emails. That was really nice. Uh, what should we do? Facebook find of the week. Facebook find of the week. Uh, it's going to listener Bob. Congratulations, Bob! For uh, the How It Should Have Ended, The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> I actually think this was one of my favorite How It Should Have Endeds. Yeah, you mentioned that. I, I found it enjoyable. I, I didn't have a problem with it. Um, I personally liked uh, one of the things that uh, listener Fishhead put up. The uh, the whole NASA is working on warp, warp drive. drive. <laughs> I thought that was kind of cool. But uh, yeah, now congratulations, Bob. Uh, you will continue to not receive an award. Uh, thank you for your participation in uh, Facebook group. Okay. Brainy's Nook of Darkness, and I want to start off by saying 
Really not happy with Brainies. <laughs> uh, just not pleased with what he's offering this week because I haven't had a chance to watch the episodes. The episodes yet. Uh, my DVR, I had it set up to start recording, you know, on the BBC channel that I have on cable, have it record, then the DVR died. And so it took me time to, you know, it took me like a week and a half to finally get down and replace the DVR. I haven't gotten every show reprogrammed on that I want. That's one of them. So I'm behind now and suddenly... Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. spoiler. Good for you, Brainy. Uh, <laughs> Punk, if we ever meet in real life, I'll probably shake your hand for all of the work you've done on the podcast. <laughs> but just know I'll squeeze a little extra hard because I'll, of this email. I'll be honest. Brainy is one of the people that I expect to seriously consider buying the soundboard just to come over to your house. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He says, sup, dudes, sup, interns. Hail to the Druplets. Well, it is only appropriate that we reveal... The title of the next Star Trek film during Brainy's Nook of Darkness. It shall be known as Star Trek Into Darkness. No semicolon, no comma, just darkness. <laughs> Has Brainy's Nook set a trend? Obviously. And so, for this week's Nook, we should clearly honor the man who wrote this week's episode... A Scandal in Belgravia, Stephen Moffat. And so maybe we can coordinate it with the rolling of Joey's eyes as we cover the recent season premiere of Series 7, Doctor Who. Um, is your sci-fi becoming too bland and uh, rote with unoriginality? Enter the Doctor. Now, I don't know how your time travel would work in real life, and what the Doctor lacks in empirical exactitude of temporal dynamics, he makes up for with fun. Yes, there is a little bit of timey-wimey and some spacey-wacy, but this episode introduces a new descriptive term used by the Doctor. explodey wody <laughs> And, quote, the Asylum of the Daleks, close quote, offered the whole package. Go ahead and hate on the Daleks if you must but they are constantly voted everybody's favorite sci-fi villains. And if you can't grant then anything else, they are funny. Especially in this episode when Rory thinks a Dalek is asking for an egg. It stammers, Egg! 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 Exterminate! <laughs> One must also admit they are far removed from the standard humanoid nefarious alien. And here begins the spoiler alert. In this episode, the Daleks beseech the Doctor for help. Wow. Inviting him to the Parliament of the Daleks. So the Doctor, of course, agrees to save them. But in the middle of the rescue mission, he receives a distress transmission from some girl who crashed nearby. As the doctor converses with her, he soon realizes that she is way too adept at Dalek technology, and she has been shipwrecked for 60 days, yet somehow she has enough eggs to keep making souffles. We see the girl and her crashed ship, and we realize that she is, in fact, the new companion scheduled to replace Amy Pond. 
That's exciting. But Moffat promised the new companion to be something we would never expect. So, as the doctor eventually finds the room she is in, you can see the painful reluctance on his face as he enters to discover what he feared. This chick was converted into a Dalek. The programming got screwy, and somehow it still believes it is the original girl. So, when we see an image of her, we are seeing uh, her perception of herself. So, we don't know if Moffat is going to have the Doctor's next companion be a Dalek, or if the Doctor is going to timey-wimey to get her before she is changed. But either way, the actress is super hot. We also have some seriously original sci-fi going on straight out of Gallifrey. explody wody The Asylum of Daleks. Sci-Fi 9, TV 8, Western 2, Mystery 7. <laughs> Golly. Goofball. Uh, all right. Well, yeah, it was still a good, you know, a well-written email, but I'm still pretty pissed at you. Now I know what the first episode's about. So I, I don't get it. Daleks are, like, people that get converted into Daleks? No. I thought they were robots. No. You were wrong on both accounts. Okay. <laughs> and uh, that's all I'm going to say because we're going to do Doctor Who someday and you'll find out how... Do you realize how long it's going to take us to get through Doctor Who? Uh, yeah, but I don't... The rest of our lives. <laughs> well, we've got the rest of our lives to do it. <laughs> Um, Isn't like 25 years of Doctor Who? Yeah, there is. But I wouldn't want to redo all of that at the previous Doctors. I just want to do... nothing's going to make sense. Yes, it will. My gosh, you are not an idiot, sir. <laughs> Seriously, you are not that dumb. <laughs> I'm willing to grant in some areas you are dumb. But you are not that dumb. All right. Uh, come on. If Aaron can manage to keep up, you're going to let Aaron Aaron's outdo you? from the beginning. Yeah, but... He didn't watch it from the beginning. Yeah, he did. No, I bet he watched the the reboot first. No. I'm telling you, Aaron is not smarter than you. <laughs> well, and if you want to keep that. disagreeing with me on that, <laughs> fine. I don't believe I disagreed with that. <laughs> Let's just move on to Joey's Culture Corner. <laughs> what do you got for us? Uh, for, for Joey's Culture Corner, I'm going to cover... <clears throat> The Tom Clancy novel, The Sum of All Fears. Oh, wow. I know that novel. Do you? Have you read it? No. Oh, but you know it. I know it. Okay. Uh, so this is a, a book in the Jack Ryan series of novels. Uh, Jack Ryan, probably one of my favorite... Yeah, and by the way, he is, incorrectly as I thought, not Meg Ryan's brother. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> All right. Just help, just helping other people out there. You, you thought Tom Clancy was writing about Meg Ryan's brother. Well, I thought there might be a connection. All right. Uh, I, I think this is like the fourth or fifth book in the in the series. Uh, Jack Ryan is one of my favorite uh, fictional characters. I, I think I actually prefer Jack Ryan over Jason Bourne. Oh, interesting. Um, one of the things I, I love so much about the character of Jack Ryan is the the reluctant hero that he is. You know, he's... He's, in, in each of the novels, he's really just trying to get through the situations that are in front of him. He never stops and looks at the, you know, all the events of his life. Or I won't say never, but he rarely stops and looks at the events of his life and says, Wow, I must be a pretty important guy. Look at all the cool <laughs> stuff that's happening to me. It's just, hey, you know what? Here comes trouble. I have to deal with it. 
and I'm very effective at it. Um, Some of all fears is so this is this is the the book in the series where uh, terrorists have gotten a hold of nuclear material and they actually blow up the uh, the football stadium at the Super Bowl. Wow! In the book. Um, the probably my favorite part about this whole book is there's a point about halfway through the book in which the as the nuclear bomb is going off the chapter starts with a detailed breakdown microsecond by microsecond of what happens in a nuclear explosion like the actual mechanical workings of how a, a plutonium based nuclear bomb works he, and he walks you through all of it and then at the end of the book he mentions I actually changed a few things intentionally in there so that hopefully people won't check this book out thinking, oh, I'm going to get instructions on how to build a nuke. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it's, it was for me, it was very interesting to read in in the style of Tom Clancy, who you know the, the man is a, a excellent uh, edge of your seat kind of page turning writer, to have a breakdown of all the things that are happening inside of a nuclear explosion. Uh, and again, it, it is the character of Jack Ryan. I, I love the character. I enjoy enjoy the novel. But the part of the book that whenever I look at the spine, the thought that always pops into my mind was that the, the, the chapter is called Three Shakes because a shake is a very, very tiny amount of time. And they say that uh, three shakes is how long it takes for a nuclear explosion to go from ignition to full-blown catastrophe. Okay. Um. I really enjoyed the book. I actually recommend the entire Jack Ryan series if you're into techno thrillers or spy novels at all. Uh, thumb up from me. Okay. I read one of the, the Jack Ryan. It was the second movie, Patriot Games. Patriot Games. Okay. And I, I borrowed it from my uh, friend's family. I guess it was the father that had purchased the book, but my friend had let me borrow it. <clears throat> and I remember reading it. It took me a long time to get through it just because I'm kind of slow at, at reading. But in the midst of that long time, in high school, I thrashed that book. <laughs> like, to the point that I finished it, but I didn't want to return it to them <laughs> because I was so embarrassed by what I had allowed to happen to this book. Nice. It wasn't as though I you know, personally defiled it, but it was... You know, I, I just didn't bother or... to take care of it. Yeah. And when he finally saw it, he's like, is this our book? I'm like, yeah, I've been meaning to get a new one to replace this because I didn't <laughs> want to give it back to you. Um, I, uh, yeah, I felt pretty terrible about that. But I enjoyed the book. Okay. That was a good book. And I ended up, side story, I ended up going and renting the movie. My parents saw that I had rented it. It was R-rated, and they like... They, Went through the roof. Oh, man. Uh, you would have thought I had done something really terrible. <laughs> well, you had. You rented an R-rated movie. <laughs> There's no nudity in it. Just explosions. There are quite a few explosions. I don't remember there being much language in it, but... The uh, Patriot Games is actually, I think, one of the harder books to read because it's a prequel. So he wrote uh, Red October first, Time for Red October, and then he wrote... Patriot Games, which actually jumps you back in time 
to how Jack Ryan got back into the CIA in order for the events at, in in the Hunt for Red October to take place. Oh, interesting. And I, I think that actually it started off a little more slowly than some of his other novels. I think as as time went on, he got better at hooking you and maybe you know in the, in the first 30 or 4 pages. Uh, as I remember Patriot Games, I, I felt like it started off a little little bogged down. Huh. Uh, okay. Do you have an adventure in Republican? I do have an Adventures in Republican. All right. Uh, so it's actually been a pretty active two weeks for the Utah County Republican Party. Uh, we had our central committee meeting, which we have once a quarter. And uh, I did haul the now, turnout. Did- at those, you you're responsible for helping to get volunteers to show up to stuff ballots, right? <laughs> no, not to stuff ballots. No, oh, uh, I'm, oh, I misunderstood what your role as a you know volunteer that's okay. organizer is. So did I. <laughs> <laughs> so I had actually uh, done a whole bunch of work to line up people to to come down and do what they call credentialing. Basically, we've got a list of names. Somebody comes up, tells them, tells us. My name is so-and-so. You check that that person is someone who's authorized to attend the meeting. You ask them to show you a photo ID. You compare the photo ID, the name, and the face. Make sure that that person is at least trying to pretend like they're that person. Uh, And you put a wristband on them that shows that they are allowed to vote. And then you direct them into the meeting. So I lined up about seven people to do this. And then someone else, so one of the people that I had asked to do it, forwarded me an email from the county party secretary who was also lining up people to do it nice uh so through some email exchanges the i i stopped at that point because usually there's about 20 people there to do credentialing so i stopped i was like okay i've got seven people uh, i'm gonna stop calling people because i don't know what i'm supposed to do so i sent an email to the county party secretary saying hey i'm not really clear is this something you're supposed to be doing or is it something i'm supposed to be doing he responded saying you know what? I arrange it. You just give me a list of names of people that I can call if I need to. Huh. So. But you did give him the list of seven people that you had already. Uh, called, I, I right? gave him I gave him the names, and uh, five of those seven people canceled before the event happened. Nice. Uh, so the two people who did show up were one of my friends, Carrie Witty, uh, and Aaron, the intern. Ah, excellent. Because. I go and I pick him up at his house and I don't give him an option. I load him into the car. <laughs> well, come on. Let's be fair. You load him into the trunk. <laughs> and uh, and then he's stuck with me for the rest of the day. So we went to Central Committee meeting, which I really enjoyed. This was the first one where I actually was allowed to speak. Unfortunately, no situations rose where I got to speak. Like There's no point at which I felt... Yeah, that was an, an egregious enough violation of the rules that I should stop the meeting to point out just how silly we're being. Uh, so it, it went pretty smoothly. And then after that, we went and knocked on doors in the uh, 3rd Congressional been, District. Or- I would have been through the moon if you guys would have said it. Then we went and got ice cream at Baskin and Robbins. <laughs> and the president brought, bought me mint chip ice cream. And it was really good. Why mint chip? Because that's a really good ice cream oh. flavor. Nah, not my favorite. Anyway, we went and knocked on doors for the Mia Love campaign. Okay. Uh, did that for about two hours. I, I made Aaron knock on doors, and I knocked on some doors myself. <laughs> he was not particularly pleased with me for that. He's like, oh, I'm just going to sit in the car and wait for you, right? I'm like, no, not if you want to ride home. <laughs> oh, you are so mean. <laughs> and so Aaron, he- I'm re- I feel really bad for you right now because I know it is not fun knocking on doors. You know what? It was not hard. I actually I, – I, 
every person, the door that I knocked on, the person, the people were nice. They didn't always want to do to take the survey or whatever that I was there to do. Uh, mo- for the most part, I asked them three questions, and then if they were supporting me a love, I signed them up for vote by mail, which is essentially absentee ballot. They send you the ballot in the mail. You you vote when you want, and you get it in the mail. Uh, so well, not totally when you want. Because I want to vote after Tuesday. <laughs> okay. You have to have it in the mail the day before right. Tuesday, so Monday. Um, no, I think it just has to be dated. It has to be postmarked yeah. the day before. Yeah. No, day up. Nope. Day before. No. Yes. Look, It's I... very important that you get it postmarked the day before because they will not count it if it's the day of. Day of the election. They will not count your vote if it is the day of the election. They won't disenfranchise me. I will <laughs> prove you. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's, let's just run a little experiment here. Because <laughs> we're going to be able to tell which vote was yours out of all. <laughs> oh, it'll stick out. That's for sure. Um, Sir, why is this soiled in green beans? <laughs> Well, who's this Joey Smith guy you're voting for? <laughs> uh, anyway, so we, we did that. That was a, a good time. And then earlier today, I did come up to the Mia Love call center and spent about three hours on the phone. Uh, again, just asking three questions saying, do you think that uh, – I almost said President Obama. <laughs> I was instructed to ask whether you think that Barack Obama is doing a good job as president. Now – my initial inclination was to ask people whether they thought President Obama was doing a good job, because that's what I was taught. You know, he's the president. Whether I agree with him or not, we still use the term President Obama. Uh, and they did instruct me. Uh, you know what? Just please, just read the script as written. Barack Obama, not President Obama. So that's I, I think I think it's kind of a dumb little game, but whatever. So this Mia Love that you were campaigning for is this the same woman that raised? Taxes three times. <laughs> You're so funny for you. You keep bringing that up. <laughs> well, Love didn't raise any taxes. Look, it was, was on mayor, TV. And it has her TV face. Has never lied to you. <laughs> and it has those facts there. I do not understand how we can, as as good Republicans, we have you know the conscience to say I will vote for you because you raised taxes. Mia Love did not raise taxes. The city council, while she was mayor of uh, Saratoga Springs, voted three times to raise taxes. So you're saying she can't control her own city council. She shouldn't control her own city council. That's checks and balances, Pete. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, she sounds like a great person. Then. Sign me up. I'll vote for her. All right. Well, I, unfortunately, as early we discussed earlier today, I don't think she's in your district. So any vote that you filed for her would be voter fraud. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a funny conversation back then. It's a shame we weren't recording it. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, that's cool, though, that you got involved that much. Yeah. I, I You know, like I said in the last podcast, you know, I feel like you should always vote for the person who is the best candidate for the job, regardless of party lines. And I really feel like Mia Love is a, is a good choice to represent Utah in the federal government. Okay. Uh, all right. Should we go into episodes? Yes. Let's do we it. are going to cover episode uh, one? one of season two, Sherlock Holmes on the BBC. I don't. I have no <laughs> idea. I just made that up. 
He may or may not be on the BBC. We don't know. Um, episode one, a scandal in Belgravia. Joey? The woman. Come on. I think that's all that needs to be said the here. The woman. Yes. Jeez. What? Irene Adler. Okay. The, the, the summary is Sherlock Holmes and Irene Adler go head-to-head over the uh, information of a secret flight coming flying out of... Uh, London. No, I like the first one better. Yeah, I agree. The woman. Uh, okay. I just have to say, I loved this episode. I was engrossed the entire time, and no, not just because <laughs> of the battle dress. The actress playing Irene Adler was alternatively clothed. <laughs> I, I thought, you know. We, we should just at least tell our listeners that you and I decided to record tonight's podcast in battle dress. <laughs> no. <laughs> New podcast rule. <laughs> Joey and I must always be fully clothed in order to record TriQuest 5. <laughs> um, okay, I, I loved it. I really, really loved I this episode. You did? Good stuff, yeah. You did. Good. Um... Otherwise, if you didn't, there was going to be... <laughs> Blood? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, okay. It starts off with uh, a ringtone of the Bee Gees. And I like the Bee Gees. Okay. I don't know. I, I know that's a 70s kind of band. But still, I like the Bee Gees. I was never a fan. I don't have anything against them. I just... I wouldn't say I like them. I wouldn't say just like... I don't change the channel when it comes on. But I don't go, oh yeah, this song... <laughs> you might notice I'm not singing the words because we are not paying for royalties. <laughs> we would need a whole other Kickstarter for that. Um, yeah, it's, uh, good music. I like it. Right. Spoke to my generation. I like that they picked up where they left off. We get to see the uh, the we get to see what it is that pulled Moriarty out of that situation. Okay, I wasn't. Super pleased. If there's anything I don't like about this episode, it is the beginning, and it just seems too easy. Okay. It seems like he wants Sherlock to die so bad that a phone call comes along. It's like, oh, I have lost interest in Sherlock. You don't matter anymore. Well, I, 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 I have the sense that. Uh... And maybe I just made this up, but I, I thought the episode implied that Irene Adler basically traded the information she had for Sherlock's life. You can get to that. I'm just saying I I don't buy it. Okay. I don't. All right. So, you know, that being said, I mean, that's two, you know, different things. I just, I didn't love it. That's all I'm saying. Didn't love it. Um, okay, and then we do get introduced to Miss Adler. Or at least her rear end. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it was, uh... The view wasn't exactly clear, though. Alright, fine. It was. Um, many, many cases start happening. So yes. lots and lots of different things happening. We see a happening. montage kind of of yes, and you know all of them are going up on the blog, um, and uh, I, it's kind of nice. But at a certain point, they're out there. 
they start to get well known and they have to don a disguise in order to get out and so we have the cliched the hat sherlock holmes and uh, watson uh with their hats um i thought that was great i it was cute it was i love that hat i wish i could pull it off (laughs) and uh, though i didn't ever mention it before you know one of the other things that really is the cliche Sherlock Holmes is the magnifying glass, which we've never mentioned before, but he's had throughout the entire yes, thing. Yeah. And it is that little well, pocket yeah. uh, um, uh, spy, not spyglass, but magnifier. The magnifier that you know he uses to you know zoom in on on you know various <laughs> clues, you know to uh, anyway. They've fulfilled the cliche. That's all I wanted to. Point oh, we haven't out. seen him smoking on a pipe yet. He smoked. He smoked cigarettes, but has he smoked a pipe? Uh, not sure about that, but still, the the whole fulfilled the smoking thing. I mean, All right. if we can go from you know the big magnifying glass that to you the hold in the hand to the glass. pocket one, I think we can make the jump between pipe and cigarette. Pipe and cigarette. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, did they have cigarettes back then? They definitely had pipes. They had cigars. I, I would imagine they probably had cigarettes. Because cigarette is you know. A cigar at yes. smaller version, yeah, maybe. Okay, um, <laughs> we have the uh, Sherlock investigating via Wi-Fi. Yeah, via Skype. I guess. <laughs> and at the end, we finally get the answer to you know solving this particular thing. I find it odd that you know he's able to solve this mystery, even. Um, uh, Irene Adler solves it, uh, as well as Mycroft solves it. They're like, oh, yeah, it's child's play. Totally easy. How is it totally easy? There, There is no evidence to suggest that it is a boomerang. And they talk about how it was washed downstream. They showed a picture of that stream. It wasn't moving <laughs> at all. And it had a bunch of reeds in it. So if the, the boomerang you know, got into it, it still would have got stuck in the reeds. Yeah. I'm with you. Okay, good. Good. I'm glad you agree with me on that. Uh, but still, it's funny. Because uh, the other thing is, you have to throw a boomerang pretty hard to kill someone with it on the return stroke. Uh, I've thrown a boomerang yeah, before. Yeah, I guess if it strikes you in just the right manner I, and I, you have a propensity, a weakness... Okay. Some might right. say. I'm just I saying. Suppose. If it was moving that fast and he had caught it with his hand, it probably would have broken his hand. Uh, I don't know. I'm gonna, you know, show you something here. Person's person standing. <laughs> a strike. Okay. Versus. You see that motion there? Your hand becomes the buffer as you start to catch it. You're slowing the momentum it. down. Mm. Okay, maybe. It's a shame that we didn't have that videoed either. Uh, <laughs> that can be our next Kickstarter. <laughs> a video camera? Yeah, this will be just a $50 Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so let's see here. Oh, Sherlock is summoned. Yeah. And But at first, I mean, he's in a sheet, and these guys show up, and they're like, put these clothes on. You're coming with us. Next we see him. He's sitting inside Buckingham Palace. In a sheet. In a sheet still because he <laughs> refuses to change. 
which was hilarious. Yeah, well, and even funnier, it was, you know, they they sent the helicopter for Watson, and he shows up, and, like, he sits down, and he's just, <laughs> keeps looking over at Sherlock. Just that whole exchange, like, it, it's a lot of nonverbal exchange goes on there, yeah. which I thought was great. It was f- so, so funny. Just, just to be clear... If I ever come in to a room and you're sitting on a couch just wrapped in a sheet, there's no way I'm sitting on the same couch. <laughs> I will sit on the couch across the way. <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right. So then he starts talking about, uh, oh, I, I refuse to you know, take on a case unless I know who my um, employer. employer is. And you know, it's heavily implied that it's the queen. Uh, oh, really? I thought it was uh, going to be the princess. What's her name? Royal family. Okay. The queen is the yes. head of the family. Right. So, it's queen. I mean, it really just, you know, travels up the line. It's not as though they're keeping it secret and, you know, the queen is just completely in the dark about the whole thing. She knows. She knows. Okay. Um, okay, and he uses the line, he's like, uh, well, I've, he's like, you, you've worked with lots of different people. I don't know why you're making a big deal about this. Well... Yeah, but not all of my uh, says not to date anyone with their own navy. Meaning, I've never had um, someone as a Royalty. client who actually had their own navy at okay. their own disposal, uh, because clearly but didn't they say young woman. I don't know. Hmm. I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, then we are introduced to. Irene Adler. And we're actually, we get her first name and we find out who this person really is. Not exactly a great person. <laughs> I had a question for you. Because I don't know the, the books. Sherlock books, is she, a, she seems like she is a major character, yes? And was she the same person who was in the, uh, the first Sherlock movie? Was that Irene Adler as well? The first Sherlock movie. Yes, with Robert Downey Jr. Oh, yes. The, Irene Adler appears in the Robert Downey Jr. movies. Okay, so that's the same character. I believe she dies at the very beginning of the second movie. Uh, spoiler alert, everyone. <laughs> we can cut that. That was just for you, really. <laughs> I've seen it. Oh, I thought you hadn't seen it yet. Yeah, I've seen it. I was trying to it. spoil it for you. All right. <laughs> I, was, I enjoyed it. I, I thought they did a good job with it. Yeah, that, that is Irene Adler. So... You you say is she a major character? She only appears on the page that I know of one time. Uh, but in one book or just one one, one story? Okay, uh, and it's it's a scandal in Bohemia. But uh, she is referred to several times as the only woman who ever beat Sherlock Holmes. Uh, he I know he mentions at one point he's only been beaten by three men and one woman. You know, as far as ever. You know, been outthought by them. Okay. Um, the, he doesn't mention her by name, and he will always refer to her in the books as the woman or that woman. He generally does not use her name. Okay. All right. It's good to know. But, but she is a. I mean, she she's a major force, but not within the story itself. Just in the the shaping of Sherlock's character, and she she lingers as a presence for him. Okay. Very good. I have to say, I think the woman that they selected. Gets hot chick. She is attractive. She is a no she's doubt a beautiful woman. Very yeah. When uh, I don't know how much we want. I we'll just not comment. We'll just say she is attractive. She's an attractive woman. Yep. Some of the clothes that she wore when she wore them 
were very attractive. Um, okay. So they're getting ready to go over to Irene Adler's house. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you're going here because I've got a quote. <laughs> I always hear punch me in the face when you're speaking, but that's usually subtext. <laughs> so funny. It was hilarious. <laughs> and he just goes off on that. And uh, I, super. A great scene. Yeah. Uh, because I, I'm sure that all of those times he has really wanted to punch the man because he is irritating. He is. Uh, and he gets to do it. And it it's funny. He, I like when he's got him down. He's got his arm around his head. He's like, you have to remember, I was in the army. I've killed people. <laughs> yes, but you know, you were a doctor. I, had I bad made days. mistakes. <laughs> oh, I had bad days. That's right. <laughs> um, all right. So I wrote. This must be tough. I've never thought about it before, but it must be tough on the actor or actress who has to do a nude scene. And I'm not fully convinced that she was completely naked within that scene because the camera is very careful. Obviously, there are some parts where she she would have been nude because you see side boob uh, (laughs) in there once. Um, And... As an actor or actress, number one, you have to be incredibly comfortable with your body. Yeah. Which she should have no problems. I was going to say, if I had her body, I'd be comfortable with it too. (laughs) I'd be showing everyone. (laughs) Um, uh, And number two, you have to be that comfortable with your craft as an actor to be able to do that role without being giggly or like... Uh, yeah, you know, and, and there has to be a lot of me. trust, I think, in in not yes. just not just the other actors, but I mean, there you got to remember there are hundreds of people on that stage on the other side of the camera, potentially. potentially. I, I don't want to say hundreds of people, but there are lots more and lots of people just, involved in more than just a guy holding a camera and a boom mic. Yeah. You know, it's more than just two guys. So I, I, I guess I can respect them. I wouldn't ever recommend it. Uh, I, as you know, my religion precludes me. <laughs> my morality uh, indicates that uh, I shouldn't encourage that. <laughs> but I, I guess I can still kind of look up to the person who's got that amount of courage and skill to be able to pull off something like that. I, yeah, I guess I can admire them as you know, much as our father would tell us, no, they shouldn't be admired for doing something bad. Okay, we've covered that. Uh, so Watson walks in and he finds Adley sitting there and he says, I've missed something, haven't I? <laughs> Great line. <laughs> like, multiple times in this episode, the the way that Irene and Sherlock are going at it and Watson is just kind of sitting there experiencing the sexual tension <laughs> flying around the room. It's hilarious and incredibly well done on Martin Freeman's part. Yeah. Okay, so the gun scene. So we have the uh, uh, the what we're going to find out is the U.S. Secret Service or CIA were CIA. they CIA? It's yeah, that makes more sense. CIA. Yeah, um, they show up and they're like, "Hey, you're going to give us the the pictures, or we want this thing." It's not the pictures. They just say, "Hey, we want you know this thing." They don't get specific about it, and they are pointing a gun at Watson, and they're like, "Okay, Sherlock, you know the the code." If you don't, you know, open it up for us, we're going to shoot Watson. And 
count of three, and finally he's like, okay, fine, I'll do it. Which I wonder, would the CIA really have shot that guy? <laughs> but what we come to find out afterwards, it would have been like really, really important for them to have maintained that secrecy. Yeah. Anyway, um, Sherlock guesses it. Ends up being her measurements, which I figured out what the numbers meant as he was putting them in. Okay. I picked up on that. I wouldn't have guessed that those were the measurements. It would only take Sherlock to be able to guess that. That was going to be my question is how do you know? I, I could never, like, I don't know. <laughs> maybe we should just leave that line of questioning. Done. <laughs> so, uh, puts in her measurements, it opens, and then she says something. I don't remember what she said. No, he said something. No, she she tipped off Sherlock. Okay. Because otherwise he would have had no idea that there is a gun behind that door, behind the safe door. And then he says something to Watson. Watson. Yes. Um, and I guess he ducks or he wouldn't have really needed to duck, but maybe to just warn him. Be ready to respond. Okay, it's this scene that I thought, I, it was really cool, but it was just like the movies, the Sherlock movies, where they slowed everything down in slow motion to explain how everything was about to happen. Yeah. Um, I liked that. I did. I, I liked it as well. Um, I can't remember. Did you like the movies? I like them. Uh, I just wish they had called them Random Action Hero. Oh, from, that's from right. The that's Empire, right. That's right. Instead of calling them Sherlock Holmes. I just don't feel like he does a whole lot of detective work in the movies. Yeah. Okay. Some, but not enough to make it a Sherlock Holmes movie. All right. So, it turns out it's a phone that's in there. It's her phone that has all of this material on it. And that's the only place she's kept all of this. I find that a bit silly. If I'm going to be potentially extorting people, you better believe I'm going to be squirreling that stuff away. Everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> um, and I, I, you really can't, in the electronic age, you cannot trust anything anymore. Back in the day, you used to be able to say, hey, I want the pictures and I want the negatives. Okay, pictures, negatives, here you go. Problem With solved. reasonable certainty, you can say, okay, you've now got all the evidence. I suppose the person could have made additional copies of those pictures. Sure. But in the electronic age, that stuff is... <laughs> you can never, ever be sure that it is... That there aren't other copies. Well, yes. that's not entirely true. There are digital file formats out there that, to some extent, will give you a, a level of certainty of this file has not been copied. Mm. Um an example would be uh, the Blu-ray encryption format. You know that that is an attempt to to be able to verify not only that you have access to the file, but what was the original source of where you got it from. So they actually can tell when you download a Blu-ray off the internet. Let's say you were a bad boy and did that. Uh, just hypothetically speaking, of course. People do that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. People do it. Huh. Uh, they actually can potentially trace those back to the original disc that was leaked or that was used to make the copy. Assuming uh, they can find it. Assuming they can find it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know that. So that there are there are things moving in the direction of. Uh, I, I can't remember now. There's a term for this. 
a forensic term for being able to know that you have all the copies. We, we can just say it, it, some sort of unique identifier is yeah. on the thing. But well, I think we can reasonably say that on the uh, file format of JPEG, GIF, PNG, TIFF, and bitmap, probably doesn't exist. Probably not. Yeah. Probably doesn't exist. Um, Although on JPEGs, just, just as an aside, okay, good. When, you, when you take a photo with a digital camera of any kind, phone camera, you know, a Canon, a Nikon, whatever, there actually are encoded in the image uh, little tiny like microscopic bits of information that can uniquely identify the lens that was used to take that picture. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. Uh, you know, it's not the same thing. It's a different. It's a different problem. But they can actually track back and say, "Oh yeah, we can within within a certain degree of probability prove that that photo was taken with such and such a camera." I'm just. Uh, I guess the point I was trying to get at is, look, don't expect that uh, you know just because you deleted something off of your Facebook page that it isn't out there someplace Somewhere else. else. Yeah. Um, you know, you in this day and age, better it, it, not to put it out there on the Facebook page in the first place. Yeah, if you can ever think about this, might be damaging for me. Don't put it out there, yeah. especially if you're going for a job interview. <laughs> Check that stuff. Um, which reminds me, I need to get those nude pictures of myself off of my Facebook page. Yeah, you're on your own on that one. No? Okay. Dang it. All I already right. archived it, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Uh, she... You skipped over a, a line that I thought was pretty good. Okay. Irene Adler. Brainy is the new sexy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I like that idea. Um, Sherlock gets drugged. Yep. And then beaten <laughs> by Miss Adler as she's trying to get her phone back. Um, and apparently it's something pretty potent because it knocks a guy out for quite a while. And um, he is, you know, out. But she returns the jacket that she had been wearing to make herself look modest. Yep. Um, and, and it's at that part that I felt like, okay, she likes him. Yeah. That, for me... When she returns the jacket, I, I... Especially the fact that she returned it in person. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so one of the things that I noticed in the the scene, the scenery, the... <laughs> on the wall, took, I couldn't remember the right word, <laughs> um, is that there is a... Have you ever played the game Clue? A little bit. There is the game board, Clue, and I don't remember if it was Clue or Clue Master Detective, but the board, the playing board that you're that you're on in that game was, I'm pretty sure it was Clue, was actually on the wall. Like in, as, a, as a painting kind of thing? Not as a painting. It was just like the game board. It's just huh. on the wall in the background. And I thought... That really looks a lot like either Clue or Clue Master Detective, um, because it was, it really, really looks like it. I, I I've played Clue. It's been a long, long time. I think it was like ten or twelve years old sure. the last time I played it. Sure. But uh, I have recently played Clue the card game. I don't know if you've ever played that. No, uh-uh. A lot of fun. Recommend it. You should check it out. Okay. 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 Um, so we have the Christmas scene. And I felt like the Christmas scene was fantastic. You know, before we got to the Christmas scene, there was a scene where uh, Mycroft comes over 
and I can't remember what they're talking about, but you have Sherlock and, and Watson and Mrs. Hudson sitting there, and Mycroft is rude to Mrs. Hudson. <laughs> yeah. And, and, like, he tells her, shut up, Mrs. Hudson. And both Watson and Sherlock are like, Mycroft! <laughs> like, rebuke him. And then, you know, he apologizes, at which point Sherlock says, yes, indeed, shut up, Mrs. Hudson. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was very, you know, I liked seeing... They it, came to her defense. Yeah. And, you know, I I thought that that was a very uh, nice way of showing some of, you know, that, that Sherlock had some emotion yeah. towards her. Yeah, in fact... So he's uh, not dead inside. I, I, I really wanted to bring that because of something I want to talk about later. I just wanted to lay the groundwork for this later conversation here. Okay, so it's uh, reaffirmed, in case anybody had forgotten, that Sherlock is a jerk. <laughs> Molly? She's gorgeous. I mean... They make her character up in all of the other scenes to look like the, you know, the awkward person who's just socially doesn't get it and, you know, maybe even not really attractive. She shows up here. She is gorgeous. It's very, very interesting to me. Because the note I have here is that I think Molly is much more attractive looking when she's at work than when she shows up at the party. I think she's dolled up. And it's I a different type like, of attractive. I didn't like the look that she had when she showed up at the party. I didn't think it worked for her. I think she looks... More attractive for her, the looks that she has. I think she she's better off going with what she does at work. Yeah, I, I uh, and if anybody's ever going to give you a gift, um, always show gratitude towards. It. I think that's a general rule, but you know, just in case anybody's wondering, don't be a jerk. Um, <laughs> but what Sherlock does is terrible. Even if the gift isn't for him, yeah. If it's for somebody else in that room. That is a terrible thing to do. It is not your responsibility to out somebody else's personal feelings. Yeah, I agree. That is up to them. Uh, And, of course, you know, he apologizes um, and realizes he is wrong for what he did. Good for you, Sherlock. Some growth. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So then he gets a text from Irene Adler that instructs him to go look on the mantelpiece where he finds the phone, takes it back into his room, unwraps the present. It turns out to be the phone, and, and he's he realizes, oh, I, I'm going to get a couple chances here to to crack the code and figure right. out what it is. Right. Uh, okay. At that point, he calls Mycroft and says, hey, I think you're going to find Irene Adler dead tonight because she gave up this thing that was more dear to her than life itself. Clearly, she is going to die. Um, and you have this, so Mycroft finds the body, you know, he brings Sherlock down to the morgue to, to check, check out what's going on. Uh, very, very funny scene between Mycroft and Molly when, <laughs> he asked him, how did Sherlock recognize her from not her face? <laughs> very, very well done line and, and delivered excellently, I thought. It, it, it really was. And then, and then it leads to this conversation in the hallway as uh, Sherlock and Mycroft are looking on at these people who are sobbing and, and, and going through this emotional wrenching experience of someone who's close to them who died. And you get this brilliant piece of cinematography where the camera is looking through a window and you can see the frame of the window and it frames the two Holmes boys almost like a picture. Yeah. Almost like a painting. And they're staggered in their in their stance so that you can see the two of them and how their profiles yeah. really are kind of similar. They picked actors who have a, a, at least a, a somewhat resembling each other profile. 
as they're as they're just watching this and trying to decipher human emotion. Uh, I just thought the the direction and the cinematography in that particular scene was really really incredible. Yeah, it, worked, it was worked brilliantly. Yeah, yeah that that whole thing is is a really great setup uh, from a production yeah. standpoint. Um, I wrote down caring isn't an advantage. And I think it was part of Mycroft's yes. speech, wasn't yep. it? Yes, it was. You know, so he you know is I guess trying to get across to Sherlock, making sure he knows. Look, don't get emotionally involved in this. This, this isn't going to help you at all. One of the things that, <clears throat> as we get to the end of this, we, you know, we, you know, surprise, Sherlock saves Miss Adler. And, you know, he apparently has feelings for her. She must have done something pretty terrible to set this up. Because they, in... They, they imply that her face is kind of unrecognizable because she's been beaten. And, you know, that's part of why Sherlock, you know, looks at the body because he's say, yep, that's definitely her. She would have had to have had someone killed. Or she to found carry someone this who out. was killed. And that was her, like, because it, it's several months between uh-huh. him meeting Miss Adler for the first time and her delivering the phone and whatnot. And the way I interpreted it was she had been waiting for this opportunity. She had been watching for the bodies that were coming in. Somehow she, you know, had access to the records of people who were di- who had died, and she was looking for someone that could pass as her. And when she got that opportunity, so incredibly alike that Sherlock, who is the master at noticing details, can look at that body and, and be confused that it is okay. So I see your point, but but here's where I think what here's what I think you're missing is if you remember the scene where uh, where Sherlock and Holmes and Watson are sitting there and or sorry Sherlock and Holmes and Watson Sherlock and Miss Adler and Watson are sitting there in her living room. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He looks at Watson and he does all the deduction yeah. stuff. And he looks over at her and he just gets question marks. Yes. So. I choose to interpret that as saying, yeah, Sherlock isn't as objective when it comes to Miss Adler. He is not able to be as observant as he normally is. And so it was easier to fool him. Uh, I I can't buy that. The question marks, Pete. There's a whole bunch of them. That's because he was trying (laughs) to read about her personality, about what makes up this woman. From all of the clues about her. And there was nothing. In this case, the clues are her physical body. Which he would have had plenty of time to notice. (laughs) Um, I suppose one could make the argument, though I wouldn't believe this personally, that he knew it wasn't her. And so he was just playing along. Again, I don't buy that theory because it doesn't really make sense with the way they carry the story out. Yeah, I agree. I I just if he's emotionally blinded, okay, I guess, but it's not clearly stated that that's the case. And if she really did find someone who looked that much like her to the extent of height, weight, age, physical features she had them killed she had that person killed and maybe 
Maybe Moriarty helped out in this, but she's still complicit in the act. Okay. She is uh, um, a conspirator before the act or after the act. I, I don't know. She's guilty in this, which in my mind doesn't make her someone worth as a redeemable person. She she participated in the murder of somebody. Okay. I have a problem with that. I, I see your point. I choose to believe that Sherlock was just that confused by her. Okay. So Sherlock comes home and the CIA has broken into his house and is holding Mrs. Hudson hostage. Um, oh, I should. We should point out that uh, uh, Watson fails with women as well. Yeah, uh, I really thought that that, that other nurse, Sarah? yeah, was supposed to be like the woman that Watson is with. I th- I thought so too. Yeah, but then again, I, I again, really the the most stories I know about uh, Sherlock and Watson is what happens in the movies. <laughs> May not be exact. Uh, Watson did get married in, in the books. I don't remember if it was to the person that is supposed to be represented by Sarah. I, I don't know. Okay. I, I actually like that. Not only <laughs> not only does he fail with women, but you can see how Holmes is kind of rubbing off on Watson a little bit. You know, they, we, I, I think we were given clear indication that Watson is affecting Holmes. You know, Holmes is starting to care more about people than he has in the past, but. Holmes is starting to rub off on Watson a little bit in the way he talks to that girl at the end. No, I, I don't know. I, I think that's a general guy thing. It's a general guy thing, but the terminology, the language he uses is specifically the language that Watson used just a few minutes before to refer to the women. Um, what the real problem is, is that Watson is choosing Sherlock over these women. He's saying... <laughs> Look, this is more interesting or enjoyable for me. I'm going to go along with this. And hopefully I can just string these women along to the extent that they don't mind playing second fiddle to what I consider the more enjoyable thing. Which is, you know, the the cases with Sherlock. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so we have, uh, you know, her death. Time goes by. We have the return of Irene Adler. And hold on, you skipped over a couple things. The kidnapping of Mrs. Hudson happens after the return of Irene Adler. Oh, it does? It does. My bad. Um, so we have this uh, you know, woman show up again and she says to Watson, "Get in the car." Was that the same woman as no, before? No, it was not. It wasn't. Okay, cuz it seems as though Watson Assumed Thinks, it was her. Yeah, kind of assumed not, that it was. Not that it was the same woman, but that it was it, because of her mannerisms. Same scenario yes. type thing. Yeah, It's just a new intern in, right. in Mycroft's office. Okay. And, uh, you know, he goes along and he's like, oh, you know, he's, uh, Watson is, you know, or sorry, uh, Sherlock is totally torn up and, you know, gives away all of this uh, information about Sherlock that Sherlock wouldn't really want to have his enemies know about because he's assuming it's Mycroft who's going to yes. be there. I was expecting Moriarty. I never was expecting Moriarty. I, I, I was. was expecting Irene the whole way through. And then it is Irene that shows up. And, uh, yeah, of course, Sherlock had followed them. Yeah. And 
is, you know, <laughs> knows that she's alive. Now. Okay, so after the after the kidnapping scene, you know, I, I, you know, they deal with the situation, or at least Sherlock deals with the situation, gets uh, Miss Hudson so that she's safe, throws the guy out the window, which I thought that was a beautiful touch. <laughs> he fell out of a window. Exactly how many times? <laughs> he says it to him, like, right, like, I would be peeing my <laughs> pants if someone said that to me. Like, I don't remember, I, I told the story about how I was arrested as a kid um, for um, arson. Yeah. At that time, I'm like a 12-year-old kid, and we're at the, the woman's house, and she's like, Hey, if there's any trouble, as she says to her friend, there the shotgun's under my bed. <laughs> and in my mind, son of a bitch, I'm gonna die <laughs> trick or treating on Halloween. And I almost peed my pants that night. I think I would in that situation. Like someone's like, ah, oh, I'm gonna throw you out the window. And it's at least uh, you know it's two stories, you yeah. know, on the second floor. Oh man, that it, it wouldn't feel good going down. Yeah. And then, of course, we next hear Mrs. Hudson and outside her window, the thumping Thug. crash. Uh, it, it was it was a funny scene. You know, I, I mentioned earlier the how Watson and Holmes jumped to Mrs. Hudson's defense. When, when Sherlock comes back inside after talking to Lestrade and, and Mrs. Hudson is sitting there and she's kind of emotionally a wreck to some extent and... And it turns out she has hidden the microphone or the microphone, the cell phone uh-huh. uh, in her blouse. And they have this little conversation here. And it's at this point I realized, you know, between Sherlock, Mrs. Hudson and Watson, there's kind of an unhealthy codependency relationship <laughs> going on here. That's true. I mean, they, they kind of all feed each other. In this just really bizarre way of behaving. If you could look at it that way or look at. These people are really devoted to each other. It's a healthy thing. I think it's fairly unhealthy. But it's entertaining, so I'm okay with it. (laughs) All right. My next note is Irene Adler comes to Sherlock for help. And she's now going to play the the whole victim in all this. She needs assistance. Um, At which point uh, Watson says, Hamish. Uh, John Hamish Watson for, uh, you know... Baby names. Baby names when you uh, finally decide on that. Uh, which I think it's cool that his middle name is Hamish. I don't know. Is that real? Is that a real name? I know Hamish is a real name. Oh, okay. Is that Watson's I don't, full name? I don't remember ever hearing his middle name out in the books, but that's not the kind of detail I normally would remember, so... Okay. Um, I, I just like the... Uh, that's one of those moments where there's so much sexual tension between Adler and, and Holmes, and Watson's just kind of sitting there. Like at one point, he he clears this, or he's like, <clears throat> "Yeah, uh, hold on, let me get right on that." <laughs> so uh, at this point, I wrote a question: Did Sherlock get played by Adler? Yes, and I think the answer is yes. I think that you know if that plays into the okay. Sherlock got beat by a woman. Yeah, and it's and it's this woman. Um, and then we have the Coventry yep. thing brought up, which I think I had heard about this before, uh, but I think it's it's worth discussing here, which in, in the episode they explain that 
the Allies, uh, England, had broken the code of the Germans. And they knew an attack was coming, and they were going to bomb the city of Coventry. And they could have done something about it to either stop them or to maybe evacuate the town. But what they decide is, we're going to let this happen. We, we could stop it. We could help try and prevent it. But we don't want them to know that we've broken their code. And so they decide... We're going to let them bomb it. Let them die. I almost hesitate to bring this up to, to make this comparison. But what if we knew on 9-11 that the planes were going to be hijacked and we had figured it out because we had broken whatever code, mm-hmm. which I, I don't even think exists. I'm not suggesting there's a code. I'm not saying that there's a conspiracy here. Not saying that at all. But the American government knew that it was going to happen and said, you know what? For the greater good, we're going to allow this tragedy to happen, terrible as it may end up being, we're going to allow this tragedy to happen for the greater good. And I think that we like to look back on World War II, you know, I don't know. With, because it's got some distance? Yeah, distance, you know, with rose-colored glasses, with, oh, it was a different age, different time, and we were fighting, you know, the really, truly evil people, and, you know, that sacrifice had to be made. Uh, there's a term for that when you look back, nostalgia. There's some sort of nostalgia that we look back on at World War II, and we like to look at it and say, ah, you know, those decisions, they, they weren't that bad. We're not going to hold people accountable for that stuff. When if they happened tomorrow, oh my gosh, there would be a crap storm, uh, at least in the media, yeah. of, you know, you know, sure. l- let's, let's string these people up now. So... Our day and age, the the Coventry conundrum, I think, is what Mycroft calls it. Is that okay? Well, you know, I... First of all, let me be clear. I don't look back at World War II with rose-colored glasses. Uh, I think what they did at Coventry, if that really did happen, because uh, I'm I'm with Sherlock. I've... I have reason to believe that that's more of a popular myth than it is necessarily documented fact. Um, but if it were true, I would still say that's abhorrent. That's that was wrong. That was a mistake. Even though, and and here's why, I, I go I go to the episode or I go, I go to the TV show Suits, where one of the characters is put in a bad situation, and he, you know, he's he's basically faced with. Your whole life will be exposed as a fraud or you do something that you know will be harmful to your friend and mentor. And so he decides to do this thing that will be harmful to his friend and mentor. And when, he go, when his mentor finds out about this and says, why would you do such a thing? He says, well, you know, these were my choices. I either be exposed as a fraud or I do this thing that's going to harm you. And his mentor tells him, you know, when someone's holding a gun to your head, your choices aren't do what he says or get shot. There's a thousand other choices that are in there. And you need to find, learn how to find the other options that are not the ones explicitly presented to you. 
And, and just as an example of the Coventry situation, um, off the top of my head, as you were as you were talking, I was thinking, okay, what were some other things they could have done besides reveal that we've broken the code or let the place be bombed? You have one guy who intentionally gives one plane bad coordinates and tells this plane, okay, go off and fly this reconnaissance mission, and you send him right across the path of those other planes as they're coming to bomb. They see the plane there. They know they've been discovered. He radios back and says, hey, guys, there's all these bombers that are coming across the channel. You, you've found, and, you know, if, if, you know, within the organization, if you have spies, if you're worried about that, you, there's only one or two guys who even know this was intentional. The, the pilot doesn't know he was out there for a reason. The, you know, the, the people who know, you keep that in that close circle of people who already knew the secret anyway. And everything else, it just looks like a mistake. And it looks like pure accident, pure random chance that this pilot happened to be in this area he wasn't supposed to be in. You know what I mean? I, and, and it's I'm not saying it's that's making a, some assumptions, of course. I'm not saying it's a great answer. I'm just using that as, you know, off the top of my head. There's a, there are always other options. You don't – the, the mistake is in letting yourself get locked into doing what the bad guys want me to do or destroying the potential future possibilities that I have. It's never a – I won't say never. It's rarely that binary of a decision. Mm-hmm. There are other options available to you. Uh, an example is, you know, let's say 9-11, they had known and they didn't want to reveal they broke the code. You shut down the flight schools that those guys were enrolled in. Well, let's say they you send the IRS about the, the flight schools until after they had been trained. We cracked the code two days before they were getting on the flight. I can present any number of scenarios for you that force you to say, do we stop it or do we allow it to happen for the potential greater good? Which is what the people, the proponents of this Coventry conundrum that say, yeah, blow up Coventry. It's okay because they're going to say, you know what? We're going to end up saving so many more lives down the road because we're going to be able to beat them. You know, we're going to be able to you know, have D-Day because we've, you know, cracked their code or whatever, which historically may not even, you know, be in the right time period. I'm just saying that thought of we're going to save more lives down the road by allowing this bad thing to happen. The whole, it's better that one guy or one town should perish than, you know, everything else to be wiped out because of, you know, a deck of cards that we're trying to build. I, I understand that there may be situations where that is a that is the binary choice where you're presented with. And in those cases, I mean, if, that, if, that, if there really are no other options, if there really, really is no other possibility, I guess, yeah, you let the city of Coventry get bombed, you let 9-11 happen. But I don't think it's as, as common as we as humanity let ourselves be forced into what appear to be binary decisions. Yeah, and let's be clear that these are incredibly not normal circumstances. Right. Yes. You know, 9/11 and uh, World War II. It's not as though this was happening on every street corner. It's like, oh, do I push the old lady out into the street or do I stop her? You know, with, you know, that it's just not going to happen that often. So it's not as though there are massive life and death uh, types of issues that we have to deal with that often. You know, there's a there's a radio program on NPR called Duck Duck Goose. Nope. And it's not all things considered. And it's not. Wait, wait, don't tell me. Oh. 
Um, I can't remember what it's called now. I will send you a link for you to post in the podcast notes. Uh, it's a it's a show where they talked about. They actually went out and interviewed people, and they said, "Okay, you've got uh, you've got construction workers on the train tracks, and they're working on the train tracks, and there's a train coming, and there's a button that you can push, and it will open a trapdoor that a person is standing on." That will make that person fall into the tracks early enough that when the train hits that guy, the train will stop before it hits the construction workers. And so there's, you know, there's 30 construction workers. There's one guy. Do you push the button? And they interviewed people. And if I remember correctly, the bulk of people said, yeah, you know, I I could push the button. Then they change the question. They say, okay, now there's no button. It's just you and this guy standing on the bridge. And the train's coming. The train can't see the construction workers because of the way the tracks are laid out. The guy's standing there. Would you push the guy over the railing and onto the tracks? <laughs> and for a lot of people, it significantly changed the question. Being, you know, being able to push that button versus actually having to physically push the man over the railing changed their answer in a lot of time, a lot of times. Yeah, um, wasn't there a movie about that? Like uh, some guy shows up and he's like, "If you push this button, someone will die, but you get you know incredible dollars." You're talking about the box? I think it, yeah. Yeah, it was actually a movie made out of a script made for a Twilight series, Twilight, <laughs> uh, Twilight Zone episode. Uh, I never actually watched the movie, but the Twilight Zone episode is pretty good. The the parody of it is great. Uh, there's some guys like, okay, here's a button. And if you and then the guy just pushes the button, he's like, "Yeah, what do I get? What, what happens?" <laughs> he's like, "What? Yeah, I I didn't even tell you." Like, <laughs> um, I pray I never have to make a decision like the Coventry conundrum. Mycroft sees a way around it. Yep. Um, you know, he figures that out. Well, you know, that again, I go back to look. You got Mycroft Holmes, who's smart enough to say this isn't a binary decision. I have another option here. I can blow up a plane full of people who are already dead. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Mycroft is pretty pissed off about this. <laughs> he is really fuming mad because Sherlock breaks the code. Yeah. And he does it for Irene Adler, who then hands this off to Moriarty, the information, to the extent of, okay, I, I'm going to blow your cover, um, Mycroft. And, you know, he sends Mycroft a message to let him know that, hey, I I figured it out. And and now it's all useless. That actor does a great job of looking completely dejected. I mean, like, I felt really bad for that guy. And again, I mentioned before, I don't care for the character of Mycroft. I think because the actor does such a great job of being... It's unfortunate. I like Mycroft. uh, But in in that scene, I actually felt bad for him. Um... Okay, so he ends up, Sherlock ends up solving the case in the best way possible because he says, okay, I finally figured out how to unlock your phone. You know, the the code was S-H-E-R for I am Sherlocked. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so can I just interrupt really briefly to say, I've watched this episode, I think this this was the tenth time I've watched it. And the first nine times I watched it, I could not get what I am sure meant. <laughs> really? And it was just last night as I was watching the episode and I wasn't actually watching the screen at that moment. I had tur- I turned my head a little bit and out of the corner of my eye, I saw sure locked. And 
when I'm looking at it straight on, and I never got it. But when I used my peripheral vision and my brain wasn't actively paying attention to it, I finally got. I'm Sherlocked. I'm like, oh my gosh, it makes so much more sense now. I've been wondering the previous nine times, what does I am sure mean? It's sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like trying to make that into a word. I'm like, <laughs> so there's like she <laughs> and er. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so yeah, anyway, uh, he then hands the phone off to Mycroft and basically says, I hope this makes up for, you know, the terrible mistake that I've, you know, caused for you and apparently our country. Uh, and Mycroft's like, yeah, yeah, that'll do nicely. Thanks. Yeah. Because there's the, you know, compromising pictures. There's apparently a, a lot, lot of other, other stuff. Yeah. Um, and the place where this whole episode breaks down, though, is that there are technologies out there for cloning a yeah. phone. We see it in leverage like every other week, don't we? Yeah. I thought the exact same thing. Okay. I did. All right. <laughs> yeah, and it seems like it's just I, I suppose one could then say, oh well there's a you know, there's an encryption, you know, protocol that's on the phone that wouldn't allow that to happen. I, any writer can get around it if they if you if have they physical to. access to a computer. I want everyone listening to this podcast to know if I have physical access to your computer, there's absolutely nothing you can do. I can get anything I want off that computer. Really? If I have physical access and it's on that machine and I have the determination, the will to do so, eventually I could get it. Even though in the case of that phone, which doesn't seem likely that you you only have a certain number of times to try and open up the phone, that you would... Well, most smartphones now will do that. You only get a certain number of tries, and then the phone completely locks itself, and you have to take it to the vendor and okay, and things like that. But in this case, it was sort of implied that you know it would shut itself down, and there was no way for him to get around you know opening up the physical case. So there's actually a device that you can put on the back of a cell phone that will read the hard drive of the phone through the case. Mm. If I can get physical access to your device and I really want to bad enough, I can get anything. Don't kid yourself that encryption is going to save you. Your best bet, if you're if you're inclined to hide something, is to use a piece of software called TrueCrypt, which will actually not only hide not only encrypt the data, but it will hide the fact that there's an encrypted file. So it'll it will hide the encrypted data at the tail end of other files on the computer. And then remember where it put those, and so that way you know you have a chance at least of look. I'd have to know where the I'd have to know the file is on there in the first place. But if I knew the file is on there and I have access to your machine, eventually I could get it. It's right. just a question of time. Okay, okay. I I thought the same thing. I was willing to suspend. Sure, sure. My I am too. I, I just wanted our listeners yeah. to know from a a true technical standpoint. Don't kid yourself that you can ever actually hide anything electronically which is why i don't have a cell phone okay but you do have a ipod <laughs> yeah <laughs> that has nothing on it no, it has texts on it that's true that's it true it would have it. access to my uh my gmail account oh see if i can get your gmail account i got you you think so oh yeah did you not read did i not send you that article about the guy who had his entire life stolen he's a why uh, he writes for wired was it wired Maybe it was Gawker Media. Anyway, he's a journalist. No, you didn't send that to me. He's a journalist, and somebody 
they, they like this whole thing happened to the guy because he has a three character Twitter handle, and some hacker wanted that three character Twitter handle because Twitter handles are apparently a, a valuable commodity now. Sure, um, which this terrified me by the way because I do use a three character Twitter handle. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, so this guy like. He's like, you know, I would have even sold the guy my Twitter handle. I don't care that much if he had approached me. But the hacker didn't even talk to me. He just broke into my, you know, he's, I think he said he started with his uh, his Apple. Let's see, I'm trying to remember. Okay, it was the thing that Amazon requires for, no. Yeah, the thing that Amazon requires for account recovery is the same thing that Apple considers Public, publicly available information that they will share with anyone who has, you know, who can get into your account. So, for example, I think he said it was the last four digits of your credit card. Apple will show those in your in your iTunes account, and then if you call up Amazon and say, you know what, I've lost my password, uh, you know, I've tried to get in, I don't have access to the email account anymore, I just really need you to reset my password. They say, well, we just need the last four digits of one of the credit cards that's stored on your. Which account. Which seems silly because that's everywhere, right? And, and so, you know, he they used that to get into the Amazon account, and then somehow they chained that into getting access to the guy's Gmail account. They wiped out his iPod. They wiped out his MacBook Pro. Oh, man. So he just started to be a jerk about the whole thing. They, they, they completely <laughs> deleted this guy's identity. I mean, they wiped him off the face of the earth for a little while. Poor um, guy. You know, he, it's funny. He, and the article is written about, you know, how... The multiple layers of because there's not a single standard for how we do security and stuff like that. The multiple layers actually work against us now to protect ourselves. We can't protect ourselves as effectively because different companies have different policies and different rules, and therefore those can be exploited. If I can get in one, I can now get in all the others. Right, right. Everything needs to be unique. Yes. Okay. Uh, Sherlock ends up saving Miss Adler's life. Um, that uh, was convenient, I suppose, but uh, nonetheless, it's still entertaining, entertaining, and super nice. I mean, the, I I found the ending to be incredible. Yeah. I really did because Mycroft goes to meet with uh, Watson. He's like, "Look, I'm worried because it's clear he was emotionally tied to this woman, even though you know at the end Sherlock is you know walks away from Miss Adler when she's like." No, I, I love you, Sherlock. <laughs> you know, when he proved that she had feelings for him, he walked away and, you know, played it off that way. And it, it uh, Mycroft has come to Watson to say, look, you know. She's dead. She's dead. And my looking back on it now, I want to ask the question, what was his evidence that she was dead? Because in my mind, I'm thinking... Oh, they have maybe video evidence because, you know, that, that's not uncommon for someone to re- record a, a beheading. He said he examined the body and that it would have right. taken Sherlock to fool him. But I don't think Sherlock was available. Do you? Well, it turns out <laughs> Sherlock was available and was there. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, some other woman had to die. To pass off the fact that... So once again, two people have died for Irene Adler 
And we're all just supposed to think, oh, yay, that's nice. It's for the greater they, good, Pete. They get together. <laughs> that's wonderful. It's for the greater good. <laughs> <laughs> the Coventry conundrum all over again. I have to kill this other person. Because <laughs> clearly Irene Adler is more important. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so come to find out that Sherlock had gone and saved her. And so he plays it very well because he wants the phone back. Yeah. So he can maybe give the phone back to her. Um, anyway, uh, great episode. Um, I, I wonder, should it have ended differently, that episode? I, should Miss Adler have just died? No. And, and left it as the tragic, sad thing that it is? No. You think that she should stay alive? Yeah, because he never caught her in the books. She got away every time. Well, I don't think he's catching her this time. I'm either. saying, I'm saying, the character of Irene Adler being out there invigorates Holmes. It, it, it's something to look forward to. Maybe I'll run up against her again someday. She excites me. She she interests me. She, I I, I think it's a strong part of the Sherlock mythos, and she has to stay yeah. a viable character. I can understand that. I think the more dramatic part of me wants her to die. Okay. And just be dead. And it is sad that way. And you know what? Sherlock is affected emotionally. And maybe that drives him down a darker path of, you know, I'm definitely not going to care about stuff anymore again because I did and it hurt and I don't like it. That's just the that's the dramatic part of me. I would me rather that, that see Moriarty that. die and Irene Adler be kept alive. Yeah, but Moriarty Dying doesn't make Sherlock sad. No, it doesn't. I'm just saying. I would rather see Moriarty die and Irene Adler kept alive. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, that's all I have to say. Do we have listener comments? We do have some listener comments. Uh, let's see here. Let's do Bob, M, or Brainy? Brainy. Okay, let's do Bob. <laughs> I haven't done that joke to you for a while, so felt like it was time. Hi, fellas. I hope you are well after your sojourn. I have had a fairly eventful few weeks. I broke a bone in my left arm. Ow. A radial break of the bone just wow. below my left elbow. It was. Uh, it has left me unable to type properly until today. I am still in a sling and will be till mid-October when physiotherapy starts. I feel really bad for yeah. you. That, uh, you need to tell us a story of how that, even if it is that SpongeBob was smacking you around because you did something That's dumb. Funny. I was just going to make the same joke. Were you? Nice. <laughs> I was. Yeah, after I, my... I was, I was waiting for a pause so I could uh, throw in there. Well, it could have just been that, you know, SpongeBob beats him. <laughs> it was part of my, uh, you know, oh, it's okay to beat women. And, you know, SpongeBob got so angry that she then beat Bob and broke his arm. Uh, yeah, you should tell us a story of how it happened, because I'd love to hear. Um, and if you have pictures, that'd be great, too. So, I guess you should be blessed that I am typing this to you now. Yeah, we are. Absolutely. We are blessed. Anytime someone emails, but even especially now. Yeah. Um, I know the guys at work have been annoyed that I've been using voice control to type <laughs> documents, which is pretty neat. But it is good to be typing again, even though I should be resting the left arm. A lot has happened in... You know, it's even doubly nice that you gave him the award for Facebook Find of the Week. Yeah, he, he earned it, clearly. He really did earn it. 
and his need was greatest. <laughs> Works out on both accounts. That joke never gets old. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. Uh, a lot has happened in pop culture recently with the new Hobbit trailer that was released this week, alongside a new James Bond trailer for Skyfall. Oh, I haven't seen which that. Which I haven't seen that. Yeah. Um, which I also can't wait to see. Doctor Who has also returned to our screens over here as well. I'm not sure what I think of this season. I think the show has lost its shine and specialness about it. Interesting. I, I felt that before, and then it won me back over, so give it some time, Bob. Um, which neatly leads me to the other Moffat creation, which we will be talking about, Sherlock. I am, also, I am so glad that you are doing this episode. It's my favorite episode of the two seasons so far, and not just because of Irene Adler. Lara Pulver isn't that big a television star over here. She had been in quite a few smaller roles before Sherlock and found fame when she landed a lead role in Spooks, a British spy show. The scene of her walking in naked caused quite a stir in the national press, as well as a substantial amount of complaints to the BBC because it, would, uh, because it was broadcast before the 9 p.m. watershed that we have in place for profane language, violence, and scenes of a sexual nature. Interesting. This episode contains, which, by the way, I'm, it really was shocking. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but over in Scotland, that... What could go on TV on after yes. 9 p.m.? <laughs> And Kate, a couple of times, it was like, whoa, 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 are you kidding me? Anyway, uh, continuing on. The episode contains pure fun and intrigue. The events during this episode get under Sherlock's skin and he is emotionally rattled. To think that it took someone like Adler to really get his juices going is good to see. I still think Watson is the heart of the show, although this episode really focused on Sherlock's psyche and the causes of depression. Man, women are depressing. <laughs> I w I'd be careful saying that. She beat you up once. She can do it again. SpongeBob could beat you up again, so maybe don't mention that anymore. Uh, the main detective plot is so overshadowed by the chemistry between Sherlock and Adler that I almost couldn't care less that a plane with a bomb is about to go off. I guess I am a sucker for happy endings because I really liked Irene Adler and that on a mental level she could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Sherlock. It was great to see Mycroft's assistant back taping away on, uh, tapping away on her phone. It is also great to see Moriarty linked into this plot following uh, on the season one finale. Talking about that finale, I think we all knew they were going to survive. We just didn't know how. I absolutely love this Moriarty. He is mad, sadistic, cruel, and truly creepy. I won't spoil anything for uh, others who haven't seen further on because their interaction really gets fiery. I'll give this a TV rating of 9. I am thinking of giving it a porn rating purely because of the ringtone on the phone, <laughs> but I'll give it a miss. Uh, Till the Hound of the Baskervilles, Doyle's most famous Sherlock Holmes story. All the best, Bob. P.S. 
Did you guys hear the uh, confirmation that Benedict Cumberbatch has been confirmed to be playing Khan in the next Star Trek movie? No, I didn't. I had not heard that either. So, breaking news. This here first. Probably not first. All right, second at least. Okay, thank you, Bob. That uh, good email. Yeah. good email. And seriously, tell us a story about how you broke your arm. Uh, Listener M. I just watched a scandal in Belgravia, and my first response is, wow, <laughs> such a great show. I look forward to hearing what you thought about the nudity in the show, which we both kind of just glanced over and said, wow, she's really good looking. <laughs> Let's leave it at that, <laughs> um, I don't think it's that big a deal. I, you know, it's not like NYPD Blue where they, you know, out and out showed nudity. <laughs> they went to great lengths to... They were fairly careful with the camera yes. angles. Yeah. They were. Uh, that, that being said, I would not want my kids to see me watching this episode still. Uh, yeah, okay. Okay. But, you know, in general, you don't generally want to show kids nudity, right? Right. Right. I'm just checking, not being a father myself. I'm saying, you, said, you said it wasn't really nudity. I'm saying even what there was, I'd be uncomfortable with my kids seeing the amount that there was. It's true. Oftentimes, it's not showing something that is almost more alluring yes. than the thing itself. I cannot believe you passed up a chance to use the word titillating right there. Oh, no. I'm not going <laughs> to use that. Uh, I would like to use violate somehow, but I can't work it in. <laughs> you don't want to violate the child with that scene. <laughs> right. No, that's worse. With the number of jokes we made with violate? No. Don't. Kids and Violate shouldn't go together. I agree. That's what I was saying. You don't want to. <laughs> no, you weren't. Uh, listener M continues. It's obvious that this episode is about true love. I liked the game that Sherlock and Irene Adler played. You could tell they really enjoyed each other's company, getting in each other's head. Perhaps they were excited with finally finding a mental equal to each other. However, I think Sherlock's true love has to be Molly. He is truly sorry during the misunderstanding at the Christmas party and regrets the cruel, although truthful, things he said. You know, there's a there's an interesting angle to take on that whole interaction. If Sherlock were jealous that she was giving that gift to someone else, it kind oh. of would make some of that stuff make a little more sense, maybe. Okay. Yeah, good point. That's interesting. Good, good note, listener M. Hey. He paid you a compliment, and you paid him a compliment. It's a wonderful circle we've just started here. <laughs> a mutual admiration society. <laughs> uh, listener M uh, concludes, Moriarty is really creepy in the cliffhanger scenes and scares me. Anyhow, another great episode. My ratings, Television 10, Sci-Fi 7, Western 8. Until next week, listener M. Western. <laughs> Brady Smurf. Um, Brainy is the new sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that angle of it. <laughs> Way to go, Brainy Smurf. Uh, dudes, I must say that. Although I only jumped into the podcast during Babby 5, this is my favorite episode that Trek West 5 has covered involving a dominatrix so far. This episode is almost too full of info and references. I also want to know if there is a way to download the ringtone 
that Irene <laughs> slips into Sherlock's phone. That uh, personalized ringtone provided some great Moffat-style levity, and we soon realize that Sherlock Holmes and the woman are texting frequently. You know what? Tell you what. If you can prove that you end up contributing to the uh, uh, Kickstarter, the Kickstarter, Brainy, we'll get you that ringtone. <laughs> That's a bold promise. Please, you can't take an audio file. I, I you can do it. My only I'm concern is just that there's a moment in the episode where it's clear enough. You can do with it other, without I'm other dialogue going on. Confident, you okay. can do it. Right. Confident. Uh, he continues, do you dudes know why the Brits hate spelling words with the letter Z? Uh, Z? I didn't I know they did. But they don't say Z, they say Z. Yeah. Moving on. I liked how Sherlock drew a blank as he tried to get a read from Naked Irene. Instead of question marks, I think the text on the screen should have read, Woman Without Clothing. Hmm. <laughs> Perhaps she fancies a snog down. Snog down? What's a snog down? I don't know. I've never even heard that term. Uh, but she never fancies Sherlock Holmes, and he knew that. Leading to a cool revelation as he indicated that he had read her pulse to discover... <laughs> He's replacing S's and Z's now. Golly. <laughs> Discover that she was trying. I know what to, he's talking about now. He's talking about how they. There's a lot of words that we've put a Z into that they spell with an S. Yeah, personalized and realized because he used those in quotes earlier. Um, discover that she was trying to play her favorite Holmesy. Um, this is why the happy ending made no sense for me. First of all, why would the terrorist put a hijab? On Irene before beheading her. Seems a bit redundant. I think she probably already had it on. Uh, maybe. Um, Project Coventry also made me think of Charles Widmore. But my other question involves why we, why we do not see this new aspect uh, to Sherlock Holmes. The super secret agent and master of espionage who can single-handedly infiltrate terrorist cells. Well, Moffat chose a happier ending than Doyle. So let's just remember the important parts here. Brainy is the new sexy. Sci-Fi 3, TV 8, Western 7, Mystery 8. Later dudes have a super sexy week. Ambassador Brainy Smurf. Um, yeah, good email, Brainy. That was really... Everybody did a great job with emails this week. This was a stellar email week. It was. It was really great. <sighs> Pete, you ready to give your rating? Ten. Wow. I have no hesitation at all. From start to finish, I was completely enthralled with this episode. Even some of the stuff that I've brought up that I was like, eh, maybe they should do it differently, or, you know, the nudity would be really awkward in front of your parents. <laughs> no. I loved it. I think that this is fantastic writing, fantastic acting, uh, in, including the production, as you talked about. Home run. 
You know, I had written down a nine, but listening to you talk, I think I'm. I think you talked me up. I'm t- I think I'm going to give it a ten as hey, well. Hey, all right, cool. Did you give a mystery rating at all? No. Okay. <laughs> Would you like to give a mystery? I, rating? I gave a mystery rating of three because this is not one that I think the audience can solve without Sherlock's help. No, it's not. And well, and truthfully, I don't think the, the audience only, can solve any of the mysteries the, that we have. The only had. thing that maybe the audience, you know, that I considered, I would have given it a one, you know, two weeks ago, um, or maybe even a zero. But now I think there, there's a small chance that there might have been people who could have solved I Am Sherlocked. Oh, sure. Okay. So yeah. that's where the three comes in. P- potentially, people could have figured out the phone code. That's mm. the only thing I think that we have in episode that we could have figured out as audience. Before he gives the first guess, my guess was 221B. Okay. That was my first guess. Uh, but obviously I was wrong, and then Sherlock ended up being wrong the second The time first time I tried. watched this, it never even occurred to me that the password could be letters. So I was just thinking of a four-digit number. Sure. Okay. I, I just assumed that you know it could be anything. Gotcha. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Homestarmy Presents Trek West 5. We hope that you've learned something, had some laughs, and we always invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. Or you can tweet us at hashtag trekwest5, or call and leave us a voicemail at 801-788-4913. So, until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And thanks for listening.